You are listening to the IMN podcast produced by the Boise Nampa Institute of Religion. We've asked members of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints to share how their lives have been blessed by living the gospel of Jesus Christ. To the Savior's request, come follow me, they have all responded, I am in. An airplane crash in the Canadian Rockies, an auto accident in Alaska, and a train of youth down a fun waterslide in Orem, Utah. So many moments in Sister Gray's life that have taught her patience, love, and optimism. You'll enjoy this inspiring message in today's devotional from the Boise Nampa Institute. I am Michelle Burke, and you are listening to the I Am In podcast. Carrie Smith Gray grew up on a farm in Warden, Washington. Following high school graduation, Carrie was in an accident that left her paralyzed for the last 37 years. She went on to attend Ricks College and BYU, where she earned her bachelor's degree in elementary education. During college, she met and married Mike Gray in 1986 and enjoyed 27 wonderful years together before he passed almost 10 years ago. Together, they have had six children and now 12 grandchildren. During her life, Carrie has lived in Washington, Idaho, Ohio, South Dakota, and 21 years in Alaska. The biggest joy in her life is being a mother and grandmother. She enjoys swimming, reading, baking cookies, volunteering at the English Learning Center, and going on walks with her dog. For one who has faced so much heartache and sorrow, you will find love, gratitude, and an abundance of joy from her message. Well, thanks for having me. It's, it's always, always fun to come spend some time with young people. Um, do you ever, you know, today we're going to talk about trusting the Lord. And um, do you ever feel like your life feels a bit like this? Yeah. Now I have a question for everyone under 30. Do any of you have any idea what that came from? Yeah. Whoa. Okay, you guys are pretty sharp. Um, a long time ago in a land far, far away, a little girl that was me, actually just in Washington State, went to a fireside. My grandpa Pratt came up and gave a youth fireside at my house. I don't remember what he talked about, but he said something that made me think. He said something like, the older you get, the harder life gets. And I thought, that's pretty messed up. So after the fireside, I said to my grandpa, don't you think that was a bit negative? Don't you think that was kind of pessimistic? And almost with excitement, he said, no, it's wonderful because the more challenges you, you have, the more you grow and your capacity to deal with hard things increases. And so as I've gone through life, every time I have a challenge or also known as an adventure, I um, think back to my grandpa and I think, okay, what can I learn? How can I improve? How can I grow? What does the Lord want me to do with this? I'm going to share 
some of my experiences and ways that I'm learning and growing on this journey, this adventure. But before we do, I want to establish a couple of things. This is my favorite, one of my favorite pictures of Jesus. And it was done by David Bowman. He was the artist. And he said about this painting, the title of it is Come. He said, come. One simple word spoken to Peter when he asked if he too could walk on the water with Christ. Jesus invited his friend to come. Come and do the impossible. And the amazing thing is, Peter did it. He actually walked on water. This piece captures that poignant moment between these two men, Jesus encouraging Peter, hand outstretched, smiling at the faith of his disciple. Peter determined, full of trust, with his eyes completely focused on the master. In our lives, we have times when we are asked to do the impossible, so to speak, bear a burden, weather a trial, overcome an addiction, wage our personal wars. Christ reminds us that all things are possible when we keep our eyes and our hearts focused on him. Simply come. So as I talk today, I hope that each of you will imagine yourselves on the water, surrounded by a, the storms of life, but our Savior is always there, always with his hand outstretched, ready, ready to grab us by the arm and save us. Now, back in 1995, Elder Richard G. Scott gave a classic Trust in the Lord talk, and in it he talked about challenges. I'm going to show a two-minute clip, and then I'm going to start telling you some stories. But while you watch this two minutes, ask yourselves, why do we have challenges? Well, listen, he'll tell us why. What should we not ask when we have challenges? And what should we ask when we have challenges? Also, think about your lives. When you have challenges, do you dig in your heels and resist how the Lord is trying to help you grow? Just when all seems to be going right, challenges often come in multiple doses, simultaneously applied. When those trials are not consequences of your own disobedience, they're evidence that the Lord feels you're prepared to grow more. Therefore, he gives you experiences that stimulate growth, understanding, and compassion, which polish you for your everlasting benefit. To get you from where you are to where he wants you to be requires a lot of stretching, and that generally entails discomfort and pain. When you face adversity, you can be led to ask many questions. Some serve a useful purpose, others do not. To ask, why does this have to happen to me? Why do I have to suffer this now? What have I done to cause this? will lead you into blind alleys. It really does no good to ask questions that reflect opposition to the will of God. Rather ask, what am I to do? What am I to learn from this experience? What am I to change? Who am I to help? How can I remember my many blessings in times of trial? Willing sacrifice of deeply held personal desires in favor of the will of God is very 
hard to do when you pray with real conviction please let me know that i will and may thy will be done you are in the strongest position to receive the maximum help from your loving father powerful isn't it we can do hard things and the lord is with us but when when we start to stretch and it starts to hurt we've just got to remember He's just molding us into what we can become. And, and we need to say, don't, don't fight against it, but say, how can I learn and grow? When I was 12 years old, well, I grew up on a farm in Washington. My dad was a farmer, but he loved to fly. And we had a plane that seated seven people. Our family decided we wanted to go to Alaska. So we invited another family. My dad borrowed his good buddy's plane who seated four people. My 17-year-old brother was the pilot of that. And in that plane were my brother, my 16-year-old sister, another 16-year-old boy, and an 11-year-old boy. And then in our plane were the two parents, sets of parents, me, my sister, and a girl from the other family. We took off and we flew north. We landed in Penticton, Canada. Landed, had a bathroom break, checked the weather. It was rainy. It was really rainy. But the forecast said it was supposed to clear up in the direction we were headed. So we took off. We'd flown for about 30 minutes, and it was getting rainier and stormier. And the mountains were getting bigger. And there was forested, big forested mountains. Just as my dad was reaching for the, the radio to call my brother and say, hey, let's turn around. He looked out and he saw my brother's plane start to clip trees and crash into the mountain. I was sitting in the back of the plane and that was back before the days of all the fancy headsets. And so I look up and I see my dad is just white as a ghost. The two moms in the middle have that, as you can imagine, the sick look on their faces. And in the back seat, I yelled at my mom, what, what's going on? And my mom turns and said, the other plane went down. And as we banked around, my mom yells back, look for bodies. And so we bank, I look out, and all I see are these plumes of smoke from the plane had exploded. And we turn, and I'm looking, and I see somebody had unrolled a red sleeping bag and was waving it. So we knew somebody was alive. And I thought I saw two more people. We circled around one more time. That time I thought I saw five people, which was obviously wrong. And there are so many miracles in this story. They all lived. Okay, so don't worry. But we flew back to Penticton. A helicopter went out to find them, but the emergency locator wasn't working. And so the helicopter flew for hours trying to find the wreck and rescue the kids. And finally, just before dark, it spotted the kids sat down about a mile away, hiked in and got it. Everyone lived. Two of the, the two boys, older boys, spent a couple of days in the hospital with some, some injuries, but they were okay. So what I learned from this, two weeks later, well, a couple of weeks later, our family was back. We didn't make it to Alaska. We um, were back home, and my 16-year-old sister, who had been in the crash, was saying family prayer. And she said with such sincere feeling that it touched my dorky 12-year-old heart, because all 12-year-olds are dorky. <laughs> and um, she said, we thank thee for another day of life. And that just touched me, her, her sincere 
gratitude for life. And I've thought about that so many times over the years. What am I really thankful for? What are you really thankful for? I don't know about you, but sometimes I have a bad day. Mostly they're good days, but sometimes they're rough days. And I'll go to bed at night and I might say a prayer and say, Heavenly Father, it was just a rough day. I should have just stayed in bed. But, and then I think, but I'm thankful that I could walk my dumb dog. And I'm thankful that I could see the beautiful flowers and hear the lawnmowers and the birds and the airplanes and feel the warm sunshine. And when I start to focus on these specific things, my perspective opens up and I realized my day really wasn't that bad. You know, on a whole scale of badness, most days aren't that bad, but we have to be grateful. In June, I did a stupid thing. So I've been in a wheelchair for 37 years and I've done steps all 37 years. I used to be able to go down three or four or five steps and then I grew up and got scared of things like that. But I do one step, I've done hundreds or thousands of them. But I was leaving my daughter's house. I was going over the one step out of her house. I don't know if I got distracted or just careless, but, but you, you, you pop up into a wheelie and you let yourself down the stair. But somehow I started to go down forwards and I'm like, oh no, and I'm, I'm reaching back, trying to stop myself and the, the daughter and the son-in-law behind me are trying to grab me as I go down and face plant on the sidewalk. Oh. Oh. Yeah, that's what you say. Oh, you know, I hit it. Massive blood. Broke my nose. Looked horrible. But I, what is there to be thankful for? I'll tell you. Don't care about this. I didn't hurt my shoulders. I didn't hurt my arms or my hands. That would be devastating. This, who cares? You know, when bad things happen, I'm telling you, there is always something to be thankful for. And I am so grateful that I didn't hurt myself worse. Um, when this section was given in the Doctrine and Covenants, the early saints of the church, church were being persecuted in Missouri really bad persecution. But what does the Lord say to them? Verily I say unto you, my friends, fear not, let your hearts be comforted. Or in other words, trust me. Yea, rejoice evermore, and in everything give thanks. So let's be grateful. A few years after, well, when I was 17, I was a junior in high school, and I had I had just turned 17 in February, and the end of February, my parents went on a trip to Mexico, again in the plane. My dad loved to fly. My mom hated to leave us kids. But they took a couple from our stake, and my dad and the other man in the stake were counselors in the stake presidency. And then they flew to Utah. They dropped off my baby two-year-old sister, picked up an aunt and uncle, and went and spent a week in Mexico. I stayed at home with three younger kids, and the older brother and sister were at BYU. So they'd been gone for a week. They were going to come home pretty soon. I was getting ready for a steak dance, and the phone rang, and it was Major somebody from Utah. 
And he asked if I had heard from my dad. And I said, no, is, was there a problem? And he said, oh, your dad probably just forgot to close his flight plan. So I went to the dance, but the whole night that just kind of nagged at me. Something was off. The next morning we were getting ready for church when the doorbell rang. As I was walking up the stairs, my sister came down and said, Dale and President C were here. President C was our state president and Dale was my dad's best buddy. They farmed together, golfed together, traveled. We gathered the family and sat down, but I already knew what had happened. They told us our parents had gone down in the plane, but they didn't know where. And they told us to pack some bags. We were going to go stay out in Royal City, 40 minutes away at our state president's house. I argued. I pushed back. I said, we're fine. We'll stay at home. And they, they wouldn't let me. And um, so we went out there. We stayed there for two weeks. There was a massive search down in Utah. But this was now the first two weeks of March. And after a couple of snowstorms, they canceled called off the search and said they'd have to wait until spring when the snow melted. It was the weirdest thing. I'd go to school every day and we'd be having history class or math and my parents were missing and life was going on. Softball season started and school elections and prom and they were still missing. But finally the day before Mother's Day in May, a guy was out flying in Utah, and he found him. They had crashed into Boulder Mountain. We don't know why they crashed. The weather was good. My dad had flown the area. There was another. My uncle was a pilot. The plane had just had its annual inspection. We don't know what happened, but, but it was an instant thing, which was a blessing. Now, um, I'll tell you couple of things that I learned from this. I don't know how, this is my mom and dad, I don't know how you were in high school or maybe you're still like this, but I would go to bed at night. I would say my prayers, I would jump in bed, I would think about the last game I played in, the next game I was playing in, who I had a crush on, who my friends had crushes on, when was the next steak dance, the next school dance. It was exhausting and I laid awake forever. Do any of you ever just lay awake forever thinking about everything? And that's how it was. So during the search, I would go to bed at night and I would say my prayers and I would say, Heavenly Father, please help me to sleep. I really need to sleep to survive tomorrow because this is hard. And every night while my parents were missing, my head would hit the pillow and I was out and slept good the whole time. And that was really, I grew up going to church and saying my prayers, I believed, but that's really the first time I have a memory of my prayers being answered. And I knew that the Lord knew me and that I could trust him. I also learned how important it is to fast and to fast with a purpose because all of a sudden my whole stake was fasting, not even on a fast Sunday, and I thought, okay, I, I guess I better do this. I grew up fasting every Sunday, which entailed my sister and I meeting up in the kitchen at 11.55 p.m. on Saturday night to have a bowl of cereal. And maybe I had something to fast for, or maybe I didn't. Now, all of a sudden, my parents are missing. Everybody's fasting. 
And I learned how powerful that is because not only did I know that the Lord heard me as I fasted on that, it was probably a Thursday afternoon, but I felt the strength of the saints up in Washington fasting for my parents and for my family. So if you don't love to fast yet, pray about it. Pray for a good purpose because when you have a good purpose, it's a whole lot easier. And, and blessings come from that. Um, I know you'll, you'll be able to ask me questions at the end. Sometimes I forget to finish a story. And so, like one time, I, I forgot to say that, that mom and dad died. And some old lady said, I, I, I heard that the ladies in the place said, wait, wait, did they die? You know, so you can ask me whatever you want when we're done. Um, so fast forward three years, and I was a junior at BYU. It was a beautiful summer, sunny summer day, June 16, 1984. When I was growing up, sports were my passion. This is a, a picture of a picture in a yearbook. But that's me hitting the ball and my little sister right behind me. I played volleyball and softball. I snow skied, played racquetball, water skied, rode horses and dirt bikes. I had just gone skydiving a month earlier. But this day was a beautiful day. I went and played softball. Our intramural team won. I played first base. It was really fun. I went home to study for finals, which were the following week. And a buddy came over. He said, hey, we're going to the water slide. Do you want to come? And I said, I can't. I have to study. And he said, oh, it's such a beautiful day. Just, just come. We're going to have so much fun. But I was a serious student, and I said, no, I have to study. And he's like, come on. And seriously, who was I kidding? Was I going to pass up a water slide? No. So I ran it through in my swimsuit. We went to the water slide park. This is back in the day before all sorts of regulations. And there were just three small water slides on a hill. It was on, for those of you, State Street in Orem, classic water slide. There was a roller skating place there. So we're, we're going down the water slides, having all sorts of fun. We decide to make a train. And there was nobody up at the top saying, don't make trains. The one lifeguard was down at the bottom reading a book. So we made a train and we actually went so slowly, it came to a stop in the middle of the slide and we had to break apart and go down separate. We got to the bottom, we said, that was an epic failure. We need to try this again. Who wants to go first? And I thought, I'll get my turn over with. So I volunteered to go first. So I get on the slide, one by one, the people line up behind me till we have six or seven people and we're all hanging on and we say, one, two, three, go. And we let go and we just flew, flew down the water slide. We went so fast. And as we went into the water, that instant changed my life forever. They didn't land on me, but there was force. And we suspect it was just a combination of the force behind me and the water depth and the speed and the angle. But as we went in, so you know you, when you're making a train, you go in feet first. I jackknifed over so I was face down in the water and, and the, the pain was incredible. 
the pain just shot through all these millions of nerves just just shot through my body and it was horrible but I used my arms to get over I knew immediately I, I you know I couldn't move my legs I used my arms to get over to the bar leading out of the water and I hung on I heard a voice say where's Carrie and another voice say oh my gosh it's her back look at her back and within that that short amount of time, a, a lump the size of a fist had swelled up with blood and fluid right where my spine had shattered at T12 and L1. I lay there in the water. One friend held my head just to keep me stable. Another friend held my hips so I wouldn't bob in the water. My friends were the ones that ran and called 911, and they ran up to the top of the slide to slop, stop sliders from coming down and crashing into me in the water. While we were waiting for the paramedics to come, some, some guys who were at the waterside ran and grabbed some consecrated oil from their car and gave me a blessing right there in the water. I don't remember what they said. I remember two things. I remember thinking, I hope I have enough faith for this to work because I was not going to be paralyzed. And if childbirth hurts this bad, I will never have children. <laughs> so I had six. It, it, it was bad, but finally I, I see all these dark pants and shoes walking into the water, and the paramedics came and got me up to the ambulance and gave me some stuff to help, help kind of knock me out. Um, I learned a lot of things. I continue to learn a lot of things about not getting things my way. I believe the Lord has a plan for each of us. And sometimes it's not what we want or what we plan or what we expect, but that's okay. His, his plan is always better than our plan. I learned how important it is to have a good attitude. When my kids were growing up in their elementary school, every day they had to say, make it a great day or not, the choice is yours. And that's something I've always believed. We have a choice. I couldn't control whether I was paralyzed or not, but I could control my attitude. And when you get challenges in your lives, you can control your attitude. We can't control other people, but we can control, we choose our attitude. I've also learned how important it is to be patient and how hard it is to be patient. There's an amazing talk by Elder Neil A. Maxwell, who's an old apostle. But it's a classic. If you want to read a good talk, listen to a good talk on patience. 1979 BYU devotional. He said, patience is tied very closely to faith in our Heavenly Father. Actually, when we are unduly impatient, we are suggesting that we know what is best, better than does God. Or at least we are asserting that our timetable is better than his. Either way, we are questioning the reality of God's omniscience as if, as some seem to believe, God were on some sort of postdoctoral fellowship and we're not quite in charge of everything. It's important to be patient. I love this verse. Oh, not that one. Oh, I didn't put it in. 
It's, uh, it's from John. It says, In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. In other words, the Lord's saying, Trust me. I've overcome the world. Trust me. Another thing I learned while I was in rehab. So I spent, oh, this is kind of an important part of the story. <laughs> so I have the accident. I get to the hospital. See, this is what happens. My roommate calls my, my older sister and her husband had just become the guardians of the younger kids in the family. And they're spending the summer in Washington at our, at our farm. And my sister and her husband are BYU law students. And so they're all together for the summer. My roommate calls my sister and she says, hey, Carrie hurt her back. She's at the hospital, but she's going to be okay. And then a couple hours later, the doctor calls my sister and says, hey, your sister broke her back. She's probably never going to walk again. So they operate that night. The next day, I'm in the ICU. Two of my sisters flew down that morning. They walk in. I'm not alone. And um, the doctors never said to me, you're never going to walk again. But, you know, I knew I was paralyzed. But I was going to start school in the fall. I was going to walk again. And that day, the toes on one foot started to wiggle. I could move them down. And later in the day, I could wiggle the toes on my other foot. I know it's a little thing, but when you're paralyzed, that's like a huge thing. And every day, muscles were coming back. Within a week and a half, I could walk on the parallel bars. They sent me up to Salt Lake to the University of Utah for rehab. And while I was there, the doctor said I needed another surgery that would help me get back probably more movement faster, but I needed it to stabilize my back more. So I had the surgery. While they were operating, there was a problem. And when I woke up, it was all gone. No movement, no feeling. I will spare you all the details. I actually told all the details once to my 17-year-old Sunday school class, and one of the boys passed out. <laughs> that was really awkward. So here I am, paralyzed and in rehab. So one of the things I learned, you know, besides being patient, besides having a good attitude, we had a branch. This is in Salt Lake City. We had a branch at the hospital where we would have sacrament meeting every week. I would go in my sweats. We had a prayer, a song, the sacrament, and a spiritual message, 20 minutes. That was awesome. And so one day, had a, had a rough day, more pain than usual. I was lonely. I was frustrated. So I call my branch president. I say, can you come give me a blessing? And he comes and gives me a blessing. The only thing I remember from it is he told me to read my scriptures every day. I'm like, seriously? Don't I get a break? I'm in the hospital. I hurt. I'm in a stinking wheelchair, and I'm supposed to read my scriptures every day? That's how important reading scriptures every day is. And I can't say I was 100% faithful, but I did better. And Heavenly Father blesses us. We get peace in our lives 
when we turn to the scriptures. We get answers. We were being obedient. But the peace is what helps me when I go to my scriptures. So that's another way, another tool for when we face the storms of life. Get in your scriptures every day. President Nelson in this last conference pled with us. He said, I plead with you. Spend time, turn to the Lord. And he talked about praying and being in our scriptures every day and getting to the temple. Turn to the temple as often as we can. So it's important to go to the scriptures. Also, it's important to have humor. So many crazy things. I could, I could tell you, I, we could spend all day telling you funny stories that have happened in my wheelchair, but one of my favorites happened while I was in rehab. We got to take a shower every other day. Now, back then, I was young and fit and trim, slim, beautiful, and I, it was my shower day, and this petite little nurse walks into the room and says, Carrie, you get to take your shower today. I'm like, yay. So I said, do you think you can get me from my bed to my chair? Because she was just a tiny girl. Oh, I think so. I said, okay. So when you're in a wheelchair, to do a transfer from a bed to a wheelchair, you're going to pivot. So I put my arms around her neck. She puts her arms around my waist, puts my legs between her legs, and we're going to do one, two, three, pivot. And we do one, two, three, pivot, and she doesn't quite get me on my chair, and I end up on the floor. I have three, three roommates who think this is hilarious, and we're all laughing, and this poor nurse doesn't know what to do. So she's hanging on to me, you know. And back then, if we pushed our call button, it could be 30 minutes before anybody came in our room. I, I kid you not. It was that bad. So we start yelling for help. Help, help. And now all I have on is my brace that covers me from here to here. So, I mean, that's a blessing, I guess. Into the room runs the most attractive male nurse on the unit. <laughs> he sees me on the floor. He runs, scoops me into his arms and puts me back in my chair, which my roommates, again, think is hilarious. Every once in a while, I get a whiff of that cologne, and it takes me back 37 years <laughs> into that hospital room. <laughs> Laugh at yourself. Embarrassing things are going to happen. Dumb things are going to happen. You're going to say, why did I say that? Why did I do that on my date? You know, laugh at yourself. It's, it's okay, and life will just be a lot easier anyway. A merry heart doeth good like a medicine. Is that the truth? Think about how good you feel when you just have a good belly laugh. You know, it's, it's a blessing to have humor in our lives. So I got married. I actually met my husband when I started outpatient PT. He was doing a six-week, like, internship rotation thing for schooling. And, um, and so we, we started dating. Our first date was a BYU football game. I actually asked him to the game. 
And um, we dated for two years, and then we got married. We had our first kid a year later, a little boy. Now, when I was walking, I used to see people in wheelchairs, and I would say, I would rather die than be in a wheelchair. That was the worst thing I could imagine. And then I got to be in a wheelchair, and I'm like, oh, that's not so bad. I can do this. I can handle being in a wheelchair. And then I was stupid enough to say, you know what? I can do anything. I can do anything but twins. I can't do twins. Twins would like be the hardest thing I could imagine. Don't say things like that. Because <laughs> the good Lord blessed us with twins. This is one very exhausted mother with twins and the two-year-old snuggled up behind me. The twins turned, well, the older boy turned two the day after we brought the twins home from the hospital during my husband's residency. It was exhausting. My mother-in-law came and stayed with us for six weeks. I sobbed when she left. Who leaves? Who sobs when their mother-in-law leaves after six weeks? So, so I want to tell you some things I've learned. I thought I was strong going into the wheelchair. I thought that was hard. Being a mom is hard. Being a dad is hard. It is not for the faint-hearted but it is amazing. And the Lord is with us. I love, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. He's there for us. He doesn't leave us alone. There's this beautiful quote from Elder Neil L. Anderson. We each understand that difficulties are part of life, but when they come to us personally, they can take our breath away. Without being alarmed, we need to be ready. Doesn't that kind of alarm you when somebody says, now, without being alarmed, along with the bright colors of happiness and joy, the darker colored threads of trial and tragedy are woven deeply into the fabric of our Father's plan. These struggles, although difficult, often become our greatest teachers. Back in 2007, I was driving home from a basketball tournament in Kenai, Alaska. I lived in Wasilla. How many of you have been to Alaska? You know where Kenai and Wasilla are? They're like four hours apart. We were in the middle of nowhere. And I, had, I was driving. My mother-in-law was in the front passenger seat. Then I had a daughter behind me. And in the back seat were as two sons and a daughter. I'm going to show you we had a head-on crash. And as the car, the car came into my lane without warning, it was just a two-way road, he came into my lane, and I thought, so this is how I'm going to die, is we have this violent, shattering collision. And then the car stops, and I'm like, I cannot believe I'm my first thought is I have to, have to keep the kids calm and tell them, Mom's okay, we are going to be okay. So I start saying to the kids, you guys, I'm okay, we're all going to be okay. At the same time, the, daughter, the little daughter behind me, she's like in third grade, 
she's saying, Mom, is Grandma alive? Is Grandma alive? And Grandma is unconscious. She was in a coma for a few weeks, and then she passed away. 17-year-old boy in the back seat is saying, Mom, look at Amy, who's right behind me. Look at Amy, and Amy's just covered with blood. Christy on the middle back seat is gasping. I can't breathe. Can't breathe. And she had some really, uh, it's a miracle that she's alive. She had some serious, serious injuries. And then Mark, my kindergartner, is in the back seat saying, how are we going to get home? How are we going to get home? Okay, so these are pretty violent. So if you don't want to see them, don't look. This is my car. And this is the other guy's car. We all know this scripture. I will go before your face. I will be on your right hand and on your left, and my spirit shall be in your hearts and mine angels round about to bear you up. I have no doubt angels were with us that day to protect us. Miracles happened. Um, I, I can't tell you all the, the things, the miracles that happened with that crash, but the thing I learned is how important it is to serve. Serve others. Serve strangers. Go out of your way. Look for people who need help. It doesn't have to be big. For me, it was phone chargers and hospital decorations and old grandpas visiting me who didn't even know me because I was in Kenai and my girls were, mother-in-law were in Anchorage. My family was in Wasilla. Serve others. Um, almost Ten years ago, next month will be ten years, my husband passed away unexpectedly. Now, I'm going to tell you a couple of, the, 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 I'm, I'm almost done here, but my last two stories, I have ramp prayers. My husband died. I got mad at God. And I just said, afterwards, I said, you know what? I'm just tired. I'm tired of all these hard things. you got to stop. You just have to stop. And then, then, you know, I started thinking, okay, do I really believe Jesus? Do I really believe that he suffered? Do I really believe that everything's going to be okay? Are temple ceilings binding? Do I believe everything I've been teaching my family and the youth? And, and the Spirit told me, yeah, it is true. God has a plan, and you're not alone. There was, um, well, here's a great quote by Elder Bednar about tender mercies, but let me tell you this. We didn't want to bury my husband in Alaska because I knew I wouldn't stay there. So we decided to bury him in Idaho Falls. Can I have like three more minutes? Okay. The cemetery was almost full. We called the cemetery, and they said, we're sold out. It's almost full. But just this week, a lady called with three plots. They gave me her phone number. We called. We arranged the sale. We got to the cemetery, this cemetery that's almost full with over 10,000 plots. My husband's grave is right next to his great-great-grandfather's. Right next to this big old tree that his family's been carving their initials in for decades. These are four of my kids and a daughter-in-law pointing to where their initials are on the tree. 
Coincidence? I think not. That rocked my world. But I felt like God was saying, trust me. I've got your back. I know this is hard. But trust me. Four years ago, I had another ramp prayer because I got mad at God again. I got cancer. Turns out it was like a pretty good cancer to have. All I needed was radiation. If it comes back, it's treatable. But I was mad. And I, I went to the temple that day, and I'm having a ramp prayer in my head. And I'm saying, you want to play this game? Do you really want to play this game? Well, game on, because you know I'm competitive. You know I don't quit. You know I like to win. And I stopped to take a mental breath for just a minute. And the piercing words came into my mind. We are on the same team. How amazing is that? That we are on his team. If I'm on his team and if you're on his team, we already know he wins. We're on his team and we can do hard things. Now, I have some favorite scriptures. If you don't have favorite go-to scriptures to help you get through hard times, I invite you to find some. Choose some. Memorize them. Put them in your heart because these help me. This is my very number one go-to. Wherefore, be of good cheer and do not fear, for I, the Lord, am with you and will stand by you. He's saying, trust me. Be still and know that I am God. Trust me. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He's saying, trust me. He doesn't leave us alone. So... I know the things I've talked about are the primary answers, prayer, fasting, study, scripture study, service, but these are the things that connect us, that keep us on the path, that help us keep our covenants and bind us to the Lord. I just, I hope and pray that, that you will remember the Lord loves you.